Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to those at Westside and Battersea sites. Welcome to those online. I think there's a little crew in Brighton as well. Um, good morning. Um, my name is Viv, and it's my absolute privilege and joy to lead Vineyard 61 alongside Steve. Um, I didn't have a television growing up. Um, there are, but there are a few moments where we would make sure that we could watch a television somewhere. One was the Wimbledon tennis tournament, and the other was anything to do with the royal family. And I remember going round to our next door neighbour's house who did have a television, Mrs Burns, who actually my mum and dad led to Jesus like many, many years ago. Um, but we watched uh, Princess Diana's wedding there and other momentous events. And even, even on Christmas Day, we would always stop whatever we were doing at 3pm and turn on the radio. I mean, obviously, this makes you sound really, really old, doesn't it? But we would gather around the radio um, to, our, to, to listen to the Queen giving her annual speech. <laughs> Are you saying I am old, Steve? Is that what you're trying to say? Um, but it's incredible, isn't it, that, the, that there's so many people around the world. There's very few people that, have actually, uh, that are actually alive today who have known anyone other than Queen Elizabeth on the throne. There's very few people that have been alive. She's been such a constant and consistent presence in my life and just for everybody else as well. This was one of the headlines on Friday. A constant presence in a changing world. Fifteen prime ministers have come and gone in her time on the throne. But she really modelled consistency, didn't she? In an age where character no longer seems to be king, I'm so grateful that this steadfast, faithful and dedicated follower of Jesus was our queen. And I don't know about you, but... Um, you know, even though she was 96, it still came as a bit of a shock to me this week that she died. And um, it, it just surprised me, the sense of loss that I feel, that I feel and, and I felt, and just this incredible outpouring of grief across the world. These next three Sundays, we're meant to be talking about the vision of the church, and I was going to be talking about um, from Isaiah 61. This is what Vineyard, uh, Vineyard 61 Church, this is what we're named after, this is our mandate, this is what it was birthed out of, the passage from Isaiah 61. But a number of weeks ago, I, I just had this strong sense that uh, I wanted to look back a little further in Isaiah's life and to, just to see what formed and informed him at that time and just to look at um, and see what, what had inspired Isaiah um, to utter the incredible prophetic you know, declarations that he did over his lifetime. And so would you please turn in your Bibles or the words are going to appear on the screen or as the Queen so eloquently put it, to what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house, the Bible? So let's turn to Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. This very famous passage begins with a statement of timing. And it's easy to overlook it, but it's actually really significant. It starts in the year that King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah had had a very long reign, a very prosperous reign. And during that time, Israel had prospered uh, financially, militarily, politically. And it, it had become a culture where there was a great deal of material wealth. There was a great deal of affluence. And Uzziah began his reign when he was only 16 years old, and he reigned for 52 years. Overall, he was a good king. 2 Kings 15 verse 3 says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. During King Uzziah's reign, we're told that people had just become a bit smug and proud, and they were absorbed in materialism and pleasure-seeking and looking out for themselves, rather than loving God and their neighbor. And as a result, the culture had started to decline and become less cohesive. And then at the very, rate, at very end of the reign of King Uzziah, Assyria, a great imperial power to the north of Israel, rose up and started conquering left and right and was on its way towards Israel. And then King Uzziah died. It was a moment of great cultural and national crisis. So to say in the year that, the king, that king Isaiah died is actually to say quite a lot. Isaiah had great reason to be discouraged and disillusioned at the death of King Isaiah. There's a great king had passed away and because the future didn't look too hopeful. And I wonder if we in this country had come to that place before COVID, if we'd come, if we'd been a bit smug, if we'd had this sense that, you know what, there's all these problems out there, there's diseases out there but not here. Things always get better here. But if you read the news at the moment, you'll see across the spectrum from left to right, there's almost this consensus that we're in decline. There are things happening that we never thought would happen here. The cost of living's going through the roof. The war in Europe, in Ukraine, who knows what the future holds? And there's not only a sense of cultural decline, there's also this sense of almost impending doom. And then to add to that, our very own queen, Queen Elizabeth, has died. And I believe we're in this moment very similar to Isaiah. When she died on Thursday, not only was I sad about her passing, I was absolutely mind-blowing at the timing of this talk. I'd already, start, I'd already prepared it. I'd already thought about these parallels between the time then and now. But now we're in the year that Queen Elizabeth died. 
And so I, I absolutely know that God wants to speak directly to us today as a church. He's got my attention. I don't know whether he's got yours. And so in the year that King Isaiah died, it's at this point that God showed up here to Isaiah. And so what I want to talk about today is what Isaiah saw, what he heard, what he felt, and what he did. So first of all, what he saw. What Isaiah needed, like everybody at that time, he needed some way of facing that crisis, facing the future. And at that point, he sees the Lord. He says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the Lord in this particular way. And so where was the Lord in all of this? The Lord was sitting on a throne. God was still enthroned in heaven and was still in charge of all creation. There is a throne in heaven. And the Lord God sits upon it as the sovereign ruler of the universe. This is a central fact of heaven. There, there is an occupied throne in heaven. God doesn't sit on a chair in heaven. Anyone can sit on a chair. But sovereign kings and queens sit on thrones. Those with proper authority and sovereignty sit on thrones. And Isaiah wasn't alone in seeing God's throne. Almost everyone in the Bible who had a vision of heaven or was taken to heaven or wrote about heaven spoke about God's throne. Job, David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, just to name a few in the Old Testament. And then the Apostle John saw God's throne in Revelation 4. In fact, the whole book of Revelation may as well be called the book of God's throne because God's throne is specifically mentioned more than 35 times in that book. Now, the core belief of atheism or materialism is that there is no throne. There is no seat of authority or power that all the universe must answer to. The core belief of humanism is that there is a throne, but man sits upon it. But the Bible makes it clear that there is a throne in heaven and the Lord God is seated there. And Isaiah may have been depressed or discouraged because a great leader of Judah was no longer on the throne, but God now shows us Isaiah. King Isaiah may not be on the throne, but I am on my throne. I just wonder whether we can just stop there for a minute and settle our hearts. Maybe even just close your eyes wherever you are right now. Just take a deep breath. God is on the throne. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and He's seated on the throne. He's not shocked by what's going on in the world, He's not disturbed. He rules and reigns over all creation. What a relief, hey? Thank you, Father, that you are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Would you lead us in, into an encounter even now where we see you, where we can experience your presence? We praise you that you're above all things, that you're high and lifted up. Thank you that you're the constant presence in this changing world. Let's just sit and breathe and rest in that truth, shall we?
Just stay in that moment with the Lord if you're there. But we're also going to move on to what Isaiah heard. As, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Why do they repeat holy three times? Wasn't it enough just to simply say the Lord was holy? But the angels say it three times. First of all, because there are three persons in the Trinity. The one God with the three persons, holy, holy, holy. And the second thing is that um, in the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. To say the Lord is holy says something. To say the Lord is holy, holy says far more. To say that he is holy, holy, holy is to declare his holiness to the highest possible degree. So what does it mean that God is holy and holy in the highest possible sense? This Hebrew word for holy literally means separate or set apart. And this is helpful for us because it means that when we're talking about God's holiness, we're talking about his absolute purity. He's unstained by sin and evil and cannot have evil near him. He is perfect in every way and yet perfectly good all the time. God's holiness is, is, is a part of everything he is and everything he does. It's not, it's, his power is a holy power. His love is a holy love. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. Holiness is not just an aspect of God's personality. It's a characteristic of his entire being. That, you know, the seraphim are, are majestic beings and their voice carries weight. When they speak, the doorposts of God's throne room shake. And yet these high, majestic beings, perhaps the highest beings in all of God's creation, have one occupation. Their existence is given over to the praise and the worship and the honor of the Lord God who's enthroned in heaven. I don't know what you're like around famous people, but I'm a little bit of a nightmare. I remember one time Steve and I took the kids to the science museum and um, when they were little and we were, you know, happily having lunch together. And then we, we just heard this murmuring um, among the other visitors there. And I looked over and saw that Jamie Oliver was there with his kids too. And I, honestly, I just went completely awestruck and completely like gaga in his presence. There was a bunch of women there, all like me, just standing there like complete morons, just not even going up to him and saying hello or anything like that, just gawping. And Steve saw all this happening and was just rolling his eyes and actually just walked away because he wanted to leave me to make a fool of myself all on my own. Um, I mean, just imagine what I'd be like if I actually had met the Queen. And I know this is a really silly example, but one day we are going to come before the very throne of the almighty, the all-powerful God. And I wonder what our response is going to be. There's a line from a Christian song which goes, will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I, will, will I be able to speak at all? He is so holy and maybe today we just need to rediscover this, this 
side, this aspect this, um, of God's character. God, would you, would you just attune our hearts today to heaven that we might hear the angels praising you and singing, holy, holy, holy. Would we, yeah, would you just have a fresh revelation of your holiness, of your purity, of your majesty today? Is he Lord of your life? I've gone through phases of this, even recently where, you know, I've known Jesus as my friend, but I've forgotten that he's my Lord. We, you know, we sometimes hear, don't we, that, oh, you know, it's only God that can judge me. As if that's a better option. You either do not want God to judge you or you love him so much that you say, God, judge me. God, correct me. God, examine me. I'm open for your feedback. Examine my life. Point me, point out the things that do not honor and glorify you. And I, I think I'd forgotten this. Even recently, I'd lost sight of the fact that he's my Lord. You know, it wasn't like I was stuck in a life of disobedience or sin. I was just passive. I wasn't burning and Jesus wasn't my first love. And how many of you know that when we burn with first love, obedience easily follows? Joyful obedience. Not sacrifice. It's my joy to give you everything. And I believe this is a word for the church at this time. Because if we are one degree off, then over time we end up in a completely different direction. We cannot do lukewarm church any longer. If we're one degree off, we will end up in a completely different direction. It's the whole Jesus. It's the full Jesus. It's the sustained first love. And it's Jesus, you have every part or I walk away. But if I do not choose one of the two, then you will spit me out because you cannot handle lukewarmness. We cannot afford it for where he's taking us. The bridegroom is coming for a pure and a set-apart bride. And guys, we need to be pure before him to have clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, make my heart pure that Jesus can have the bride that he's paid to have, no matter how hard it is. Thirdly, what Isaiah felt. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, for I am undone. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he knew what kind of a man he was. And as poorly as he compared to the seraphim, that was nothing in relation to how he compared to the Lord. The, the vision or the actual experience of the throne of God didn't immediately make Isaiah feel very good. The more clearly he saw the Lord, the more clearly he saw how bad his state was. I am undone is not a bad place to be. Spurgeon was quoted as saying, God will never do anything with us until he has first of all undone us. Isaiah was a, he was a righteous man. He was a godly man by all outward appearance. And yet when he saw the enthroned king, the Lord of hosts, he saw how sinful he was in comparison. Isaiah, Isaiah's life may have been as brilliant as a diamond, but when you lay a diamond against a perfectly black background and have the right light upon it, you can see every flaw and imperfection. And so when Isaiah's righteous life lay against the background of God's perfection, you can see the flaws. 
Anyone who's actually apprehended God as he really is, as holy as he is, immediately looks at themselves and says, I deserve to be punished. I don't deserve to live. I deserve to be lost. And Isaiah says, I am ruined. And this Hebrew word means I'm falling apart. It reminds me of when, G when Peter came into the presence of Jesus, he, he suddenly saw who he was and he said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a, I'm a sinful man. And when Job says, I've heard of you with my ears, now I see with my eyes and I really despise myself. You know, if you go into your bedroom and you fumble around in the dark and you, you can't really tell whether it's dirty or it's untidy in the dark. But if you flick the light switch on, you see it all. And if God is coming close, if you're coming to grips with who God is, it's like turning a light on in your life and you see the dirt everywhere. You see your clothes all over the floor. The only place you'll ever be truly authentic is in front of God. Only in the presence of his holy light will you see who you really are. Will you be able to even admit who you really are? But this isn't the end of the story, guys. <laughs> he doesn't just leave us with the reality of our brokenness and our depravity. You'll only have the ability to see and to handle how bad you actually are when you're standing before the person who in his right hand has the answer and has the hope. Verses six and seven go on to say, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So one of the angels flew to Isaiah with a live coal, which means the coal was still hot and burning. It was so hot that even an angel had to use tongs. <laughs> that must have been really painful. Like a hot coal applied to the lips, one of the most sensitive areas of the body. And yet nothing is written that Isaiah reacted in pain. Either there was no pain because of a special blessing of God, or the pain didn't matter because of the majesty of the surroundings or the, just the incredible nature of the cleansing. I don't know. But Isaiah's sin had to be burned away. The fire of judgment was applied to his place of sin. The act of, of placing a burning coal on your mouth isn't going to cleanse you. Please do not do this at home. This was obviously a spiritual transaction. And yet the same principle works on our behalf in regard to Jesus's work on the cross, our sin that was placed on him, all that separates us from God. And he was burned with the fire of God's judgment. And yet because he was holy and righteous himself, the fire of God's judgment burned away all of the sin, all of our sin. I, I know personally what it's like to realize my sin, uh, the, 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 to realize like the depth of the darkness within me. I came to a point a number of years ago where I was confronted by the reality that I was deeply sinful. It was like the light had been turned on in my life and I could see the, the mess all around me. And it was at this point that I had an absolute encounter with the grace of God, where I realized once and for all that it wasn't about being perfect. It wasn't about doing and saying all the right things. It wasn't about being a good Christian. It was much more about falling to my knees and saying, woe is me. And then realizing just incredibly afresh that Jesus had paid the ultimate price. He had gone on the altar. He had sacrificed himself for me. And now I am clean. I'm righteous. 
I can stand tall again without any shame. And that, that for me was the moment that just completely changed my life around, realizing the amazing grace that he had for me. I could then come into his presence. I could stand before the king, completely cleansed, no matter what, what my past was. And I, uh, my reaction to this was, I have to serve the Lord now. Look at what he's done for me. I've got to serve the Lord with everything. He deserves everything. And this is what Isaiah does in response. What Isaiah did, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. God looked for someone to send. He wanted someone to go. God wants to reach the world and he wants to reach it through willing people. It's a bit like our purpose as a church. God is in the transformation business and we get to join in. We have our part to play in this and God is looking for participants. You know, how strange is it that this God of majesty, of sovereignty and power asks for volunteers? You know, he could easily create robots to do his work. He could command angels to carry out his will. But God wants willing, surrendered servants who are in love with him. Here am I, send me. Isaiah emphatically answers God's call. He didn't hesitate. God wa Isaiah wanted to be the answer to God's question. Tours here from the Balaam site, she messaged on Thursday evening just to let us know of something that had compelled her as she was at Buckingham Palace, just as the Queen had died. And I'd love to, her to come and just check briefly what happened. Thanks, Viv. Hi, Tours. Hi, Viv. <laughs> Welcome um, to everybody online as well. Um, so, Tours, what happened on, th on Thursday? You just heard the Queen had died. What did you do? Yeah. Um, so, so, I, so, Viv asked me to share, share what happened on Thursday. And I actually just want to preface, massively preface a story with... Um, it was it was an amazing it was amazing it was amazing what happened and I, and I will share but um, I don't have faith sorted <laughs> by any stretch. I often think of Zeke in the Battersea site who goes and does all these things all the time, and I just want to preface this: that's really not me. And I have so many questions about faith, and at times it feels like um, I'm just about clinging on, honestly, truthfully. Um, I have so many questions, and I still have so many questions. So Thursday was a bit of a surprise for me. Um, I, so Queen had died really sadly. And, um, uh, I went out to Buckingham Palace with a friend just to lay some flowers at, at the gates. Um, and we were allowed to go right up to the gates and just lay flowers. And I, I, I turned around, so you've got the Buckingham Palace in front of me. And I turned around and I just saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people, um, really somber, looking at the palace, right up onto the Queen Victoria Memorial, looking at the palace. And I was really struck by um, this process of people who have lost such a figurehead in their lives, a figurehead of stability, of unity, of faith, a constant. And they're processing death. They're processing this loss of figurehead. And despite all my questions, it just hit me that we have Jesus, like we have this really clear hope and someone needs to tell them about Jesus. 
someone that they're, they're very rarely are people processing these questions like we are doing now and the rest of the country are doing now very rarely is it coming so much to their forefront and someone needs to tell them about jesus and um i just got this incredible sense that yeah I needed to do something. I knew two things. I knew that God was moving in that moment and I no, knew that there was absolutely no way I was going to do anything about it. Like there's absolutely no way <laughs> I was going to do anything about it. Um, so I like reckoned with God, but this, this feeling was not leaving me. Like just, I don't know whether you felt it. It was just the bizarrest feeling surrounded by thousands of people. And so I, um, I reckoned with God. I was like, look, Lord, I know you're doing something. I'm going to go home. My faith is not in a good enough place for me to do anything right now. I'll leave it to Zeke. I'll leave it to Steve. Um, I'll go home and we'll come back maybe in a couple of years time once I sorted out my faith with you. <laughs> and then I was walking along and I saw <laughs> to my right, there were four people wearing high-vis jackets that said on the back, Billy Graham Ministries. Billy Graham is one of the most prolific uh, evangelists or was of our time. And I don't know whether this was a sign from God or not, but I just could not ignore it. And I just like, my stomach actually dropped in that moment because I was like, I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to do something. I've got this feeling and now I've seen this. What the heck am I going to do in this moment? So I just stood still for about half an hour. <laughs> my friend was like, should we just go home? <laughs> And I just, I, I knew I'd either leave or I just had to stay still. And it took every ounce of my courage to, to move from that place. And, um, and so, I, so I went to the Billy Graham people and I just said, um, if I sang, would you sing with me? And so we were right at the front of thousands of people right in front of Buckingham Palace. And um, I said, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And like, once that first note is out, you just have to continue going, right? So I closed my eyes and I just got that uh, out. And I kept my eyes closed for the first, first full line. And then I looked down at the floor and I just blasted it as loud as I possibly could. Um, and then bit by bit, people joined in. And then more people joined in. And then more people joined in. Um, and then we repeated Amazing Grace. And we did it twice through. I could have done it way longer. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. I felt more alive than I have done in years. Um, and people came up afterwards and they said... Um, uh, uh, thank you so much. We don't know how to respond currently. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. Um, yeah. And so do you have a sense of like, like what, what we do next? What should we do next as a church, Tours? <laughs> Thanks, Viv. Um, I, I, I'm going to go back. I, I, I think... Um, <laughs> I think... 
I think we're in a unique opportunity right now um, where, as I said, people are searching. They're looking for something to follow. They've lost this moral compass. And we're in such a time of shaking anyway. Um, with everything else that's going on, it is quite an extraordinary time. And um, the Queen had a faith, like a most amazing faith. And I read a stat the other day that said 88% of the country respect the Queen. 88%. That is a huge majority of unity we have over someone that has an extraordinary faith. And I think we have... Yeah, a unique opportunity and an open door for about two weeks, I, I'd say, until people, you know, probably until the funeral, until people get on with their lives, where we actually have an open door to share Jesus. And no matter all the questions, they're fine, I think, is probably what I've learned in this experience. The questions are fine, but this is clear as well, that we can share the faith of the Queen with people that are currently searching. And does that look like all of us going to Buckingham Palace? Uh, you're very welcome to. Um, I no, definitely not. I, I I think you can. I think we can. You know, even just having conversations with people, like we're all united over with eighty eight percent of the country over the love of the Queen. So, having conversations at work, even saying, you know, the Queen has died. She had a faith. You know, what do you think about that? That's that's an open door already. Um, or go to Buckingham Palace and sing Amazing Grace. Or go to wherever else and say, hey, how do you feel about the Queen dying? I just think that there is really clear open doors right now. Um, people are lost. They're really lost and they're shaken. And um, but yeah, I'll be going back to Buckingham Palace to sing. Amazing. Thank you so much. That was an example, I think, of just going, here am I, send me, you know, despite all these questions, despite her, um, you know, not feeling like we have it all together. Does anyone feel like we have it all together? I don't think so. Um, but we have this opportunity, don't we? And we have this, uh, like Tool said, this open door to go, here am I, send me. As we come down to land, I wonder if the, the worship bands can come up at Battersea and at Westside and here. We realize in this moment, don't we, that we have a hope that can never fade. We have a king on the throne who will not stop reigning. He is in charge. He is our hope. When things around us are collapsing and looking uncertain, we have good news to tell our friends and our families and our co-workers that we have amazing grace. There is a good king who is on the doorstep watching and waiting for us to return to him. Who will go? Well, will we go? And in the year that Queen Elizabeth dies, in a time of such uncertainty, I wonder, is God asking, who shall I send? And what is our response going to be? And so this experience is what formed Isaiah. He saw the Lord. He, he, he heard the Lord. He felt his own unworthiness. And then he was cleansed and then he was sent. He was commissioned to go. And you see this mirrored in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Therefore, we go and we proclaim freedom from the, for the captives, sight for the blind, beauty from ashes. But this comes after the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Have we seen the Lord? Have we been in his presence in this, in this pivotal moment in history as individuals, as a church? Let us seek the face of God at this time. Let's worship him as Lord. 
Let's come before his throne. Let's recognize his majesty and his holiness. You know, do we, do we know that we've been completely washed and completely cleansed through Jesus? Have we had our shame removed? Have we been purified? Are we willing to step out of our passivity and burn again? Are we willing to go, even though we don't have everything together? Are we willing to listen to the nudge of the Holy Spirit like Tools was, even when it's uncomfortable? And we have this window of opportunity, don't we, in this historic moment where people are wondering who is constant, who has integrity? Where is hope now that the queen has died? And we have good news to share that we know a king that is on the throne, who is so holy, he's so just, he's so good, He's so kind and we have access straight into his presence because of what Jesus has done for us. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to hand back to all the sites and we're going to sing Amazing Grace together. Amazing Grace How sweet the sound That says was lost. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind. I was blind, but now I see. Let's sing together. T'was grace. And t'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious, how precious did that Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.